Welcome to Q&A Selling Online with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur, Quinn Amorm. Welcome back, my friends. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have Mia Matlyaveski. The story goes like this. Back in 2009, this multimillionaire lost more money than some people make in a lifetime. He lost around $20 million in about, I think it was a span of a week time in 2009 during the crash. One day. One day. In one day. Okay, that's like me going to the casino losing a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> Mia, what's going on? Hey, Quinn. Well, um, <laughs> all good. <laughs> how's how's everything on your end? Oh man, life is fantastic. You know, uh, things are going very well, and it's 2020, so it's going to be the best year ever for, <laughs> for for at least for me. Right? I can't talk for everybody else, but I think it's going to be fantastic. Perfect. And yeah, I see that your podcast is growing and growing and growing. I'm a little sorry that I was just, uh, I, I wasn't the most listened episode in 2019 as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an honor that, uh, out of all the amazing guests that you had and all the great shows that you did, uh, that, uh, yeah, people really listened and liked, uh, my episode back in. I think it was episode three or episode four on your podcast, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, it was eight. But uh, anyway, we can we can double check that, and I'll do that as we're talking, so everybody can go back and check in case they they want. It's right on the main page of failfastpodcast.com, and it is episode number four. There you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Well, I think you were you were one of my first podcast interviews that I ever did. So you know, um, in in Europe they say you never forget the first one. I think <laughs> you were my my uh, first interview. There you go. So I, I feel honored. And for those of you that are listening uh, to Mia's story for the first time, you can go back and check it out or or an episode before the the short story of it is uh, Mia. Uh, owned a few energy companies and then during the crash in 2009 uh, he lost about 20 million dollars although he only had he only had 16 million in the bank so he was negative four and Mia actually was going to kill himself uh, and and faith didn't allow him to do so well, thank goodness because he's here today to talk to us and after he uh, came back and solved his problems, Mia now is completely debt-free. He paid back those $4 million. He made a few more. And now he helps people, uh, you know, overcome their fears and their failures and knowing that failing is just part of life. And uh, if you're not failing enough, means you're not going far enough. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. I, I really, what I do is I... Uh, I help people establish healthy relationship with failure, embrace failure, because in reality, if you're an entrepreneur, by default, by definition, we entrepreneurs, we have these crazy goals, crazy visions, crazy missions that we want to achieve. 
We all want to change the world. That's why we are entrepreneurs. And so if you want to come even close to that, you have to push yourself so hard out of the comfort zone that it hurts. And when you're out of the comfort zone, of course, um, it's much more likely that things that you're doing for the first time will not succeed. And so it's, it's very, very important that you have healthy relationship when those mishaps or fails or however you want to call them, uh, happen so that the emotions, the negative emotions and the negative self-talk doesn't get you down and that roller coaster, negative roller coaster, because that won't help you. So having a good, positive, healthy relationship helps you to learn from the mistake or from mishap or from failure grow and push forward and the better you are at that the sooner you will achieve success yeah and you, you got a, somebody told me once that uh, it was a comparison between a kid riding a bike and getting up every time they fall to ride the bike again and they don't consider that a failure right they could just keep going because they want to learn how to ride the bike and if they had considered it a failure given up no kid would ride would ride a bike today. They would all give up. So in business, uh, that's what it is. We 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 fall, right? Because doing things for the first time, we're humans, and all humans have flaws, and we fail. So don't you get up on that bike, and unless you have a broken leg, you can still pedal. <laughs> <laughs> and right, yeah. even if you do break something, in business being some like you. Uh, what happened to you is considered breaking probably both legs in business. And, you know, you got up and you kept going. And that's what failure is about. It makes you stronger. Failure yes. makes you stronger. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And the thing is, I mean, um, now I understand that, you know, if you lay down solid foundations in your business, if you're an entrepreneur, you can minimize the effect of failing because, you know, if you have strong processes in place, if you measure those processes, you have KPIs, you are benchmarking those KPIs and you have a good business intelligence uh, solution on top of that so that you can quickly see the dashboards and so on. You can quickly see patterns. You know, most of the time uh, I see entrepreneurs, they don't have any system in place. And that's a huge problem because uh, they, they are acting on I think and I feel. And there's no, I, there's very little I feel and I think in the business. You gotta know. And so the better your foundation, the more you have, uh, you know, numbers and, and, and KPIs and all of that in place and you can quickly check. You can quickly see when something's not working. And so you can mitigate that risk and, and react sooner so that the failure is, is less, uh, of a failure. And so yeah. maybe, you know, you, you just, you just drop a little and you can already react to whatever's happened. So Mia, what have you been up to now since we last spoke? I mean, we didn't last speak in, in, in 2018. That was the, the time that we recorded the interview. Since then we spoke several times. So for, for the audience, tell us what have you been doing since, uh, what, um, you have your own businesses? And where are you now? You you traveling back and forth around around the world? Or are you just uh, uh, at home, or what are you doing? Well, I I don't travel as much as I would want, and there there is a reason behind it. 
I, I think you probably understand that I'm a huge uh, uh, volunteer when it comes to saving animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, since we last spoke, I adopted two more dogs. So now I have four dogs. And it's, it's really hard here in Eastern Europe to find good dog sitters. And I'm, I'm the craziest mom when it comes to my doggies, like the, how I spoil them and, uh, how I take care of them. Mm. So it's even harder for me to, uh, to find somebody I can really trust. And because of that, I don't travel that much. I love traveling. And back when I was still living in Slovenia, I had an amazing dog sitter. So I was traveling all the time, uh, going to conferences, speaking and, and, and even just traveling just for, for the, fun of it uh but now that's a little bit limited but in the meantime i did i did find uh a very nice lady friend a new girlfriend and now i'm training her how to take care of four doggies so once she's up and running uh i will be able to uh hop on a plane and and visit a few more countries and uh probably speak at a few more conferences so that that's one thing uh but otherwise business wise um yeah, a lot of things have changed uh, because I think when we last had the interview, I was still resting from my last company. Uh, you probably remember that I scaled that company from zero to multiple eight figures in monthly revenue in just nine and a half months and then to multiple nine figures next year. And that was like that was the most ins- insane thing I ever did in my, in my life. I mean, the, the emotional... Uh, physical uh, challenges that you're facing when you're doing something like that. I think I was still resting, to be honest. And, and you know, uh, I have big why. I have big vision, what I want to do, uh, connected uh, with failure. Uh, I want to really develop that project of mine, Failure Synonymous, um, you know, to have a non uh, non-for-profit organization all around the world, small groups of people talking, sharing about failure. And of course, that needs money. I don't want to depend on anybody to, you know, finance or uh, even countries or governments. I mean, that would be the worst thing that could happen to me. I want to do it all by myself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was start, it, it was time for me to start scaling again. So yeah, last year I was working really hard on laying down foundation for my new online program where I really teach new entrepreneurs or early stage entrepreneurs how to lay down all the foundations the way they should be laid out uh, so that so that you can create a sustainable and long-term profitable business. And uh, yeah, we were beta testing with about 50 people. Uh, quite a few of them got really amazing results from it. And yeah, in a few weeks' time, we will start with our marketing activities and um We'll see, we'll see how that goes. We will be doing a lot of testing and trying in the beginning. Uh, but eventually I'm sure we will figure out the proper way. And uh, then, yeah, then it's scaling ahead of me. So, uh, getting ready to, to scale again. So this is a online program, of course, yes. right? And you're going to be uh, teaching people how to scale their businesses. Or how to overcome the fears or a combination of all of those? It's a little bit of like, um, when I look at business, I look at it from that there are five very important pillars when it comes to foundation. Mm-hmm. So the first pillar is definitely you, the entrepreneur. You need to have certain mindsets. You need to have certain soft skills, hard skills. And none of us was born with everything 
from start. So, you know, we all need to learn something. We all deal with certain inner demons. You know, for somebody, it might be procrastination. Another person might have fear of failure. A third person might have imposter syndrome. Maybe we have several of those inner demons. And, and the first thing is we need to deal with those. We need to, uh, we need to achieve the level of, of having all the right um, all the right soft skills and hard skills and mindsets and so on uh, before we can really achieve something as an entrepreneur. Now, next thing is really the laying down the blueprint. I don't believe that you can just buy a blueprint. You need to create your own blueprint or as I call it, business development plan. So I walk people through, I basically handhold them through all the steps in the business development. Uh, the first one and the most important one is product market fit. Because if you search online, you will see that uh, all all uh, statistics show that <clears throat> number one reason why most uh, companies fail and go bankrupt is because they don't have a proven and validated product market fit. So that's very essential. Then, of course, we go forward with all the other steps. At the end, we validate the whole business development, and then you know as the Cash flow is coming in. Uh, we need to create a team. We need to start, you know, laying all other foundations because I, I, I don't want to teach people how to become solopreneurs. I don't want to teach them how to, you know, work 16 hours a day, hustle, hustle, grind, grind 24 seven. No, for all of us entrepreneurs, what's important is to have freedom. And I see that the easiest one is the freedom of money. Of course, if you don't have money, it might seem like the hardest one, but in reality, it's not. A much harder one is the freedom of time uh, because we often get ourselves in situation where we are um, trapped by, by our own creations and, and we need to learn how to let go. And the only way to let go is if we put a system in place that we trust and we can either do that in the beginning and start with that mindset I want to be a business owner. I want to be on top of my business, not in my business as soon as possible and, and have the freedom of choice, which is for me the ultimate freedom where you decide what you want to do. I choose to do this. I don't have to, but I choose to. And it's such a huge difference. Um, and, and so, yeah, to, to, to get to that point, we need to lay down a solid system. And the earlier you start, the better. I, I work still with one-on-one -on -one a little bit with a few bigger companies um, who have, you know, 30, 50, 100 employees. And when we start implementing these new systems, it's hard. It takes a lot of time because, you know, people are used to a certain way of working. You can't just fire everybody and, and, you know, bring in new people. So it takes a whole lot of time to do this transition where you are, you know, really running the business and not the business running here. Uh, so the earlier you start, preferably when you're starting it, you already start with all the right mindset and all the right foundations in place. It's then much easier because you just build on top of that as you grow. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Nice, nice. That sounds very interesting. So I and I want to learn more because that is very interesting to me. Uh, you did touch on something that I agree 100, percent and it's about the product and how most people fail because the, the product doesn't fit in the market or doesn't have demand. And for example, you know, I deal with physical products and I create physical products. And one of the first things we do is before we even know what the product is, we find the demand first, right? Of course, 
in your case, the product could be a service or, or something, but in physical products, we find the demand, the need for it first. Only then we go and uh, find a product or develop the product, create it, whatever it is. So if the demand is not there, uh, I mean, why would we be using well, any I mean, efforts? Well, you it? can be the inventor. But then, of course, you know, it takes a whole lot of time and a whole lot of resources because you need to educate people, mm. you need to create that demand. I mean, it's not a bad thing, uh, but, but, but yeah, you need to have a whole lot of resources on your hand if you want to be an innovator in, in any particular product or service. So, of course, it's much easier to enter the market when the market is already aware of the problem or is actively seeking a solution, uh, because you know that will speed up your whole business development process uh, very much. And another thing that uh, you know can speed up your business development is leverages. And most entrepreneurs uh, aren't even aware of all the leverages that are at their disposal, and they don't know how to use them. So that's that's another thing that I see with entrepreneurs. And the third thing is that I think most entrepreneurs, we are that creative type, you know, Elon Musk style, you know, like we are full of ideas. We are always seeing solutions. We are always seeing opportunities. But when it comes down to, to the logical part, to systems, to those things, that's super boring to us. And we hate doing that. And, and because of that, of course, we don't have those systems in place. And uh, I mean, uh, they, well, of course, the easiest thing is if you can afford, if you have, if you have the leverage of money and you can hire a good uh, operational manager or project manager, that will solve the problem. So you can be the crazy entrepreneur and you have somebody to handle uh, the, 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 the hard part, the, the, the boring part. Uh, but if you, are, if you don't have that, and most who are starting don't have that in the beginning, um, then, of course, you need to balance yourself out. You, you need to balance that creative entrepreneur with, you know, the, 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 the doing the boring stuff. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's, in my point of view, that's exactly what happens is the majority of entrepreneurs have like the uh, shiny object syndrome. They want to, you know, capture everything, do everything. And there's a new thing coming out. I want to be involved in that. Because it's that FOMO, the fear of missing out on new business opportunities. And yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs, and I say that because I was for the longest time in, in that mindset as well. I wanted to create everything and do everything. And then I would start everything. So a lot of people do that. They start something, but they still have another thing not finished. And that's when you, exactly like you said, you either need a very good team that's going to go in and finish it for you, grab it where you left it and continue from there on. Or you got to be able to focus on one task, finish that task, and then go to the next one. And that may be one of the hardest things for, I don't know if it's due to the era where we live in, or due to maybe the technology in our, because I heard that our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And that may be influence of electronics technology, you know, our cell phones, laptops being in front of a screen well, all day. It's not so much, I think, the technology. It's more 
the infobesity of everything out there. You know, like, I mean, honestly, 30 years ago, I mean, you know, you're from Portugal. Did you know <clears throat> when you were still living in Portugal, did, did you know what's happening in the United States every five minutes? No. Did you know what's happening in Australia? No. Like, you know, I mean, you would really need to watch the evening news. And even then you would get information with a few days of delay. Now, you know, you go on Twitter and bam, you have all the presidents and, and other politicians about any country. Um, you know, you, you guys in Canada had that donut thing a few days ago, uh, with, with, with your president, Justin. And, you know, like we, we get bombarded with, with more information than we ever were. Um, and of course, you know, now we, we carry with us our phone, which is our source of information. 20 years ago, those Nokias, I mean, yes, you got a call, you got a text message, but that was mm. it. You know, now our phone is our main computing device and we get information there. We learn there. We watch there. We waste time there and, and like all of that. And, uh, it's, I think this infobesity out there, um, 20 years ago, if you would go on whatever was then, I don't know, was it Google or maybe something else? I don't mm -hmm. know. When internet started, if you typed a search thing, maybe a few results would pop up, if any at all. Now, whatever you search for on Google, on YouTube, on wh wherever you are, brings you back tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of results. And then you start reading. And, you know, everybody's trying to sell you their own version of what you should do. And I'm not saying that any of that is bad, but, you know, like at one point you need to decide, okay, I'm going to follow this technique or this strategy or this one. The worst thing that you can do is to pick what you prefer. <clears throat> because if you want to create a long-term sustainable business, you will have to do a little bit of what you love and a little bit of what you hate, unless you have the money to outsource what you hate. That's another way. But unless you have that or you are willing to take on a business partner uh, and share profits, you will have to do a little bit of both. And then, you know, people go and, and they watch videos from, from this person and that person and, and so on, but they don't follow the whole strategy. They just follow what they like and then they go to another person and they take what they like there. Um, it doesn't work that way. And then, of course, you are spreading yourself thin. How many people really stay with product market fit until they nail it. Most likely, probably not 99% of entrepreneurs because it's so much more exciting to start posting and creating this and, you know, new logos and, and, and photos and quotes and, and content and, and, and all of that shebang. But none of that really makes any sense until you have validated product market fit. So not just market fit that you think you have, but you actually sold to a few people at a full price. That's important. If you sold at the beta price, that doesn't mean that you have a validated product market fit because, you know, maybe your beta price is half off. Well, who wouldn't buy it half off? But once you raise prices to 100%, maybe nobody else will want to buy that. So until you sell at a full price, um, you don't really have a validated product market fit. Now, depending on how big is your potential market, if you are in consumer stuff, 
you will need to make quite a few sales before you can say, okay, now that's validated. If you are a more in a niche thing with a high, high, high end uh, uh, product or service, you can just sell a few and you can say, okay, that validates the market. So it depends a little bit on, on what is the overall uh, scope of your market. Uh, but, you know, even if you look at, um, this was one thing that I looked up a few months ago. When you have U.S. presidential elections, um, all these TV networks, they all make polls and try to guess what the result will be. And usually they are quite close to what the end result is. And the, and I was really interested, you know, like U.S., it's 300 something million people, 200 million voters. Like what is that percentage that they go and they poll? And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, it's roughly around two, two and a half thousand people. So with two, two and a half thousand people answering those polls, they can predict quite correctly, plus minus one, two, three percent. Of course, at the end, those two, three percent can really make a difference in the end result. But if you look at it just from a perspective of, you know, uh, getting close to, to, the, the, to the real results. So in business, if you're 2 or 3% off, that really shouldn't matter much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just for, for the idea uh, of how much you need to sell if your market is so-and-so big. Yeah, and a very, very good point too. And just to, to add on to what you said about those 2 3% different points is a business it's not going to end when it comes to the election. It, you either win yeah. it or you don't. So it ends there. I mean, right. The, the election part. And when it comes to business, if you didn't get those 2% this month, you still have next month and the next and the next, because you're going to be here for a long time for hopefully forever. But you know, uh, we all know not all businesses or no business lasts forever, but they can last a long time for sure. And about that, uh, how everything is so busy and new things. And when it comes to advertising, for example, after you, you do decide that your product is a good fit and there's a huge demand and you get into now marketing your product, there's so much noise out there. And like you said, every single search term on Google has 10 million results. So to go above that, are, are we supposed to make more noise than everybody else and have more flashy and and then it just escalates from there or is there a, a way uh, because many years ago mia i did an ad and it was a video it was a professional video done in 2d so two-dimensional cartoon style video ad and there was music and it was uh from music from somebody i know and then the the cartoons would do exactly what the music was saying, all that. And it was somewhat of a success. Uh, a few years later, that video was completely uh, outdated when uh, Shrek came out with 3D cartoons that were so amazing. And, you know, now, of course, that's up steps higher and higher. And today, because it is so normal to see crazy things, a 2D or even a three-dimensional ad of cartoons does not do it anymore. It has to be special things out of the perfect timing. So how do we, how do we like go one step above the noise? Do we have to make more noise or less by noise? Well, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, one thing is, of course, depends what you are, what your product or your service is, you know. So, I mean, if, if, you know, you are selling a luxury something, a luxury car for millions, you know, you, you need to do certain shebang around it because it kind of, you know, like your competition are the Bugattis and, and, and the Lamborghinis and, and so on. So, you know, like one thing is, of course, you need to a little bit understand your own industry and, you know, where you are in that industry. Now, I think that more important than, than all of this is really having a deep understanding of who your audience is, who your buyer is. And um, I know that um, e-commerce guys usually do most of the research by uh, is data-driven. And that's okay. Data can give you a lot of information. Um, um, I like to combine a little bit of data-driven and, uh, and human-driven. When I say human-driven, is actually having conversations with people, deep conversations. So not just making uh, surveys or something like that. But uh, yes, it takes a whole lot of time. Yes, it is a big investment. But I, the way I understand the market is um, there is this perceived value ladder that we all have. And, and it's based on who we are, what we stand for, what are our values, how we will look at certain things. Let's take a simple thing. So I have a printer here. And I have paper in it. And let's say the paper is out. I really don't give a damn. I mean, most of the time I just print black and white, you know, some word documents that I can sketch on. So I'll just go to the first store, grab the first piece of paper, and I'll go home. So there's no loyalty for me, no nothing. It's logical problem, logical solution. I'll, I'll, I'll just grab the one that has the lowest price tag because I really don't care. Well, a friend of mine, he's a professional photographer, making photos and then printing that out and so on. For him, paper is, is the essence of his creativity because that's how people can actually see what he created. So he puts so much love and devotion into that piece of paper. And so what I'm trying to say is we, uh, we look at things differently because we, we have our own filters how something is valuable to us or not valuable to us. And um, in my mind, it looks like if I'm solving a logical problem with logical solution, that's consumer grade, you know? So something where price can play a big, big role and I just go and buy cheapest or close to cheapest and that's it. The second letter is a logical problem, but emotional solution, giving people emotional solution, which will already be in a higher bracket and we will value it more. We will be more loyal. We will be more dedicated to maybe even go to a few shops to find that particular item. Now, I don't believe that we can solve an emotional problem with logical solution. That rarely works. And then the highest on that ladder, ladder is emotional problem, emotional solution. Now, no amount of data will give you that emotion, emotion side. You need to talk with people. And even when you talk with them, you know, every coach out, out there will tell you, I want more clients. But what does that really mean? Why? You know, oh, I want more clients because I want to have more time with my family. But if those clients are one-on-one -on -one clients, then, you know, you're not going to achieve that. So you need clients for, you know, your programs where you can leverage your time. But the real emotion is 
maybe my dedication to my family and to spend time with my family. So that's the emotion that I'm looking for. So if you come and market to me and say, hey, Mika, do you want more clients? That's, that is giving me a logical solution. Yes, of course, everybody needs more clients. But if you, if you say, Mika, do you want me to show you a system where you will be able to maintain how much you make or even increase that but then on the other hand, you'll have much more time that you can spend with your family, traveling, really enjoying that family time while your kids are still young. Would that be interesting to you? Now you've touched my emotions. Mm-hmm. And you know, you I will be I will be willing to pay more, be more loyal, and 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 you know, all of that if if you touch my emotions. So that's why for me, marketing is all about a really deep diving into who your audience is, really understanding them. And when you really understand them, you know where they are, you know what they're searching for, you know what message resonates with them, and so on. And I believe that, you know, if you put the right message in front of me, you don't have to be flashy. You don't, I mean, unless your ideal client is somebody who just goes for the flash and, you know, um, that's what they want. Then, of course, then you need to be that. But otherwise, I think you need to get the right message across. Of course, your marketing campaign still must not suck to the point where it's, un, you know, unviewable. Uh, but, you know, you don't have to dazzle me with, you know, studio Hollywood style ad um, if you get the right message across to me. Yeah. So what do you do if somebody is in love with an idea and, I mean, it's always good if you love an idea, you're very passionate about it and you're going to, you're going to be more, more into it. So you, you, you know, you'll go, you overcome bigger steps in order to achieve that, that love of yours, your dream of yours. But sometimes because somebody is passionate about something, it doesn't mean that the rest of the world is. Yes. You know what I mean? So there's things out there that, I mean, I love to see somebody that has a huge passion about something. But if it doesn't sell, should that person still pursue that idea and, you know, just have a little, a little niche or should we just tell them directly? Listen, I mean, I love, I love your passion, but as a business, this is not going to fly. Well, I mean, I don't think there is a black and white answer because, you know, A, uh, what is your goal? If you would just want to make a solid six figure income, mm-hmm. maybe you can do something like that and have a, you know, a very small niche and you're happy with it. Of course, if you want to be a billionaire, then it won't work. There's no, not enough product market fit. Product market fit is also about market saturation that you can achieve. So, uh, obviously, if you're in a very, very specific niche, plus it's not a niche. It's not, you know, like, I don't know medical industry where you created a, a, a medicine that can sell for uh, tens of millions, you know, if you have something like that, then maybe you, all you have to do is half a sale a year and, and you know, you're a millionaire every year. Uh, but, uh, but uh, and, and the second thing is, um, yeah, ev- you should start with something that you're passionate about because it will be easier to overcome your, your uh, struggles and, and fears. Uh, the thing is, when you are creating product market fit, that's not a linear process. So product market fit is a triangulation of three things. An audience that obviously has some interest or some need, 
a product or a service and a business model. So those are the three things, but you never go like step one, step two, step three. It's a little bit of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And when you're doing that back and forth, you are polishing, pivoting and so on. Now, sometimes it can happen that you have to pivot too much and that that direction is no longer aligned with what you're passionate about. Then, yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, you don't have a product market fit to go with. Most often, um, you, you you can find a pivot that you're still okay with or you're still actually passionate about, or maybe you even find something you're more passionate about. But yeah, sometimes um, you just can't find the right product market fit. Maybe you have an audience, perfect. You have a product that they want, perfect, but the price is just so much out of their budget. That often happens with uh, some innovations, you know. Um, um, yes, you you can you can you can have an audience. Yes, you can have a product, but maybe because it's so innovative and because of the materials that you have to use, the price is so high that it's just unreachable to people or to enough people so that you can justify production and you can justify um, you know going forward with that idea. So not everything can be turned into business straight away. But with a little bit of back and forth, polishing up a little bit, uh, doing the research, doing the due diligence and so on, uh, most often things can be turned into something that will work when it comes to the product market fit. And of course, understanding your own wants and needs and goals as well. Not everybody wants to be that crazy billionaire. Not everybody wants to, you know, do crazy stuff for majority of, of people who say they are entrepreneurs, they are quite okay with making a few hundred thousand US dollars per year. Um, and they're quite happy with that. And that's okay. You know, I mean, um, it doesn't have to be if, you know, uh, other entrepreneurs want to go to seven and eight and nine and 10 and 12 figures and so on, that you have to be the same. You need to listen to yourself, what's right for you. And, you know, sometimes maybe you can, Take one business to a certain level, but then when you come to that level, you can turn it into a passive stream because you have a system in place. And then you can maybe there's something else you're passionate about, you know, and you can, you can work on another project and on another project. And, and then you add a few projects and combine them and, and you come to a bigger number. But it's not all about numbers. You know, you need to figure out what feels right for you. And, uh, yeah, some people are just okay to, Make a multiple six figures a year, and that's okay and perfect. Why not? Yeah, exactly. It, it all depends on why you're in the business. If you're in the business to make the money, uh, I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody loves money and needs money. Uh, not everybody loves it, but everybody needs it. And so, if you're in the business uh, for the money, that, uh, I heard some people say that uh, that's the wrong mindset and. I mean, of course, morally, it's nice to say that you're in it just to help others and all that, but there has to be money involved or else there is no need for the business. It just becomes something else, not a business. So all businesses that are businesses should be profitable, right? Now, if the intention is to really have a business to, to help others like a non-for-profit or a charity organization, that's different. But if it is a business, just it's very important that people know their numbers to know that they're making profit. So because I mean, 
there's no profit. The, the business will end. And, and no, absolutely. We'll, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not against money. I mean, um, for me, it depends what you do with it, what you do with it. But, you know, I mean, if you are, you know, just dreaming of, you know, crazy cars and mansions and so on. And if that fuels you, I mean, I might not agree with you because I'm not that kind of person uh, that would be driven by those things. But if you are, I mean, who am I to judge? You know, I mean, um, I, I, my, my freedom of choice is to live in Eastern Europe and to race around the streets and catch stray dogs and cats. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, that's not something that you would normally hear uh, an entrepreneur say that that's their freedom. But I, for me, like, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, so, you know, we, we have, like, I'm not judging somebody who, who goes for the Lambos and Ferraris. And so I just want others not to judge me that I do what I do. I mean, that's why I call it the freedom of choice. We all want freedom. Now, the choices we make are much different. And some will use money for the better. Some will use it just for themselves. Some will also use it for evil. I hope, mm -hmm. you know, we can change those mindsets. And, uh, but, you know, that's the human reality is, uh, and again, who am I to, you know, judge what's good and what's not? Exactly. Exactly. So how about, uh, you, the 50 people you, you had on your, your beta, your beta testing, you said, how, where do you get 50 people? Do you, Offer them to enter to test for you since, uh, they get, they get the product or the service. And at the same time, you get the feedback. So is it a uh, reciprocal or how, how do you get the 50 people to test your service? Um, I mean, I was working for many years on creating a very solid network, um, mm -hmm. uh, solid audience, audience that I really had connection with. I mean, I don't have many people in my audience, like, you know, some people have crazy numbers, but, you know, I jumped on one call with almost everybody in my network. I know, like, you know, you can go to my Facebook friends and just point people at randomly and I can tell you what they're doing and, and things like that. So, um, I, I really go for, uh, quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you have a quality network, um, you can, you can easily get, you can easily get people to, to sign up for things like that. And, uh, yes, they got quite a lot of extra attention from me. And, and, you know, of course we were building, I was building the whole, polishing the whole thing alongside with them. Uh, I would go back and redo lessons and add more lessons and, oh, this is what they're asking. That's what they're asking. I would jump on more one-on-one -on -one calls than, you know, it would be, um, necessary or what, you know, would be the right thing for me if I want that to be leveraged. Uh, but it all enabled me to really polish my product, give them the right value. And so, yeah, it, it was a little bit of, you know, uh, we all gave something to each other. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, sure. uh, then you learn from them, you survey them, you talk with them, you, uh, they tell you what they're missing, what's better, what's not good. And then you can, you know, uh, go back and, and learn and grow from that and do things even better. So yeah, it was, it was quite a journey. It, it took me a whole year of beta testing, but I really wanted to do it. You know, I, I, I'm not in a hurry. 
uh, it's not oh I need to start making money tomorrow. I mean I'm I'm you know living a good life anyway without that. Um, so I really wanted to do things in the right way and following my own expectations and my own values. You know, I want everybody who joins my program to have that Michelin three star re restaurant feeling, you know, that you really are taken care of, that you are handheld through the whole process, that you are not just a number, that somebody really cares about you, your success is there to support you, to hold you accountable and so on. And some of those things are, are not that easy to, to scale. And so it took me a lot of time and a lot of preparation, you know, to really lay down all the foundation so that even if we start getting, you know, 50 new people in each month, I can still maintain the same high quality that I'm expecting from this. Very good. I really like that. And where can people find you and when will the membership or the access to the program, will, when will that open? Well, uh, I mean, the easiest way to find me is just go to Google, type Phil Coach, and bam, that's me. Uh, uh, so that's the easiest. But uh, So one thing that I'm doing now uh, is uh, this actually started in December. Uh, I started a, a free group on Facebook. It's called The Leverage of Trust, and it's a technique that many entrepreneurs are forgetting and it's to reach out where we already have trust because it takes time and money and resources to get people from uh, no to like to trust. And so it's, it's a technique that can greatly help you speed up your business development in whichever phase of our state you are. Um, a big focus is on how to, like one struggle that was uh, really apparent was that people struggle with um how to reach out to people online, you know, how to really connect and really make relationships, how to not be that spammer and, you know, sending bot messages and things like that. So a lot we do on that. And so they can join that group. They can learn this, see how, how it feels. And from there, um, it, it, it's in there, um, everything about how they can move along. And if they want to to experience some of my other offerings, and as you said, to go to Google and type in fail coach, I did just that, and yeah, all the entire first page of Google, uh, you show up when it comes to fail coach. I so. think it's entire eight or nine pages, and then it ends there or something like that. So <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there's nobody else who calls. Uh, himself or herself the fail code so um yeah mo mo most of that is is my stuff and then they can choose whichever social media network they prefer i try to give a lot of value on each of them and uh, yeah but the best way is to join uh the leverage of trust um and a facebook group and yeah a, a lot of people since we started uh people leveraged that technique and already made uh, combined, I think, like sixty, seventy thousand US dollars in 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 I don't know, roughly a month. Mm -hmm. So it's a very simple technique, something everybody can do. Something that a lot of entrepreneurs are forgetting. They're so much focused on how do I get new leads in, new leads, new leads, but we are forgetting where we already have trust built, and it's one of the 
easiest and the best leverages that we can use to speed up the process. Awesome. And so everybody listening, I'll have uh, links on the show notes so you can find Mia directly. Uh, or you can go back and re-listen to this part, and then you'll know where to find them. Mia, thank you so much. We're going to stay in touch. Like you know, we will keep talking offline. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. Remember to leave me a review whenever you can, and we appreciate you. Thank you, Mia. Well, thank you, Quinn. It was a pleasure to be here again with you. Uh, I'm really honored that I'm the first comeback uh, so thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, that's it. The first one ever. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> See ya.